This is Cassie Talbot. You're listening to KPDO 89.3. We're from the Shields and Talbot show, where our motto is of educators by educators for children. And we're here today to discuss DACA with Rita Mancera, our executive director at Puente de la Costa Sur in Pescadero, also a community member and also a parent, among many, many things. Um, so DACA stands for Deferred Action for Children Arrivals, for those of you that are tuning in or uh, focusing on this topic for the first time. Um, it protects um, those people from deportation, uh, gives a work permit. It, it does expire after two years, but it can be renewed. We currently have 700,000 DACA recipients in this country. Um, vast majority are people of color. More than 90% of DACA recipients are employed, 45% are in school, uh, thousands are healthcare workers, and as we know in this coronavirus pandemic, um, they comprise a vast majority uh, of our essential workers. And these are uh, statistics from taken from the NAACP. If you have any interest in that, they do have a San Mateo chapter that you can join as well. Um, re DACA has resurfaced because Trump tried uh, to rescind that on June 18th of 2020, but the Supreme Court ruled in favor of DACA recipients. And turning this over to Rita Mancera, um, I remember when uh, I worked at Puente when DACA actually passed and this is, uh, it, was a long, it was a long process and some fears occurred. That's okay. And there were fears about filling out those forms for DACA. Um, so I kind of wanted to maybe just start with um, uh, how has our, um, how did DACA come about in the context of, of Puente and how did we respond as that as the organization and a community uh, to get those uh, students and individuals uh, signed up for DACA? I do remember uh, 2012 when DACA passed and was announced and I actually got the same feeling of joy when I opened the emails and I saw the news about the decision of the Supreme Court this time. I think that it was like as, as hopeful and as exciting as that year back in 2012. And yeah, many youth had uh, concerns about applying and I think, you know, particularly immigrant community, in my opinion, they're known to be uh, pretty brave, despite all the reasons why they shouldn't do something or the fear of doing something, they still go ahead and do it. And I remember in 2012, you know, their parents particularly had a lot of questions about, you know, who's getting the information? Are they gonna be identified that they are in this country? Uh, what are gonna be the repercussions? What if the program ends? And then who has access to all their information about who they are, where they live, where they work? And despite all that being real, because I think we wanted at Puente to also understand that we don't have a control over that, that you know, this information should not go to anyone else or any other department. Uh, but sometimes you just don't know what the government is going to decide to do. Uh, but despite all those challenges, we had a team of people helping them apply. And the change, and you probably remember, Cassie, the change was just, immediate yes. uh, when youth receive their uh, you know there's a letter that tells them that they have the protection for deportation but then there's the id looking card that is their war permit um, and when people got that i remember the reports from people in the school at the high school saying that the students were more dedicated to their studies uh, they were more engaged uh, with everything that had to do with school and 
to be honest, I think that many of the DACA youth, if it hadn't, it hasn't been for that process, they probably would not have gone on to college because they saw many limited opportunities for them. And then once these opened the door, you know, there's a lot of examples out there about students from our own community, from Pescadero High School, that they did go on to college, that they are graduated now, um, and that they're doing awesome work in, in, the, in the companies that they are working for. And that being said, there's a lot of fear. And, and after I was very excited about the news from, from the court, um, I was also very cautious this time because it's, their decision was not to maintain the program. Their decision is that the Trump administration didn't have the basis to overthrow this program. But, you know, the administration can do it again. I think, if anything, this decision is giving us time uh, or is making sure that, you know, he's not going to have the time to actually um, try to do it again before election day. And it's very important for people to understand the facts, to support DACA, and to use this kind of information uh, at the voting polls in November. Yes, because the, um, I remember that change being very immediate with our students because some of them were, you know, in our youth program, uh, some were teenagers, uh, some had the ripple effect that it was not just them, it was their siblings. And some of those students also, you know, some of those students actually didn't even realize that they didn't have access to these things when everyone in high school was either filling out for a driver's license or they were doing financial aid forms or they were trying to pay for college. Um, and they weren't able to do any of those things. So just the whole act of um, if that wasn't part of the conversation when they were growing up, it was a really stark and sad reality of that actual all that work they were putting into their education against all odds and you know systems of oppression they were not able to still continue um but uh and cassie if you remember um if you remember cassie there was very little conversation about these uh they those students live in the shadows uh it was the elephant in the room and there was not a conscious uh from administrators or teachers uh, or even parents when, you know, there were things being organized like, oh, we're going to do this trip to this place. Uh, we're going to take the senior class to Hawaii. Uh, you know, we want to take the youth to this conference. And there was no conversation in those days about, can they go? Uh, should we look into it? Are they comfortable, comfortable going to an event where they're going to ask them for an ID? Like there was no sensitivity about the issue, the way that I see it now when I hear meetings and something is being planned is, uh, is everybody going to be able to go? Do we have to protect anyone? Should we check with an attorney before we take someone, one of the students somewhere? And I think it's uh, also DACA youth has gotten out of the shower, uh, out of DACA youth have gotten out of the shadows now. They are being very outspoken about their status and about their rights. And this is not over. This fight needs to continue because they still don't have a path to citizenship despite all the contributions that they make to the economy. And they are doing a good job and, and we need to figure out a way to support a path to citizenship for them. Yeah, because I remember being, I think um, I was communicating with you during that time because we were trying to figure out the senior trip. And, you know, being a, a student at the high school and being able to go, I remember um, I had students that were graduating with me, but, you know, this was before DACA, where they're like, you know, we can't go and we still went, you know, then now when I was the advisor, I was like, this is the chance to, to make it right. And when I asked our students that I knew, 
you know, didn't have that uh, documentation, they were just like, you know, I don't want to take that risk. And so we spoke to the lawyer and I was like, we need to change the whole scope of this because it needs to be part of the rhetoric. However, never got to enact that because COVID-19 happened and we weren't going anyway. <laughs> so, um, but it's, a ch and now it's kind of a chance to take that collection. I, I'm, I thank you for bringing that up, take that collection of what was going on and get that part of the rhetoric when we do that. But um, it's still obviously not enough. The, I have current students that I know uh, didn't, like what would be, uh, what were the qualifications for DACA like currently? Uh, that would mean I have some students that don't actually qualify for DACA, so they're still living in that limbo. Like what is, uh, what is that, what is uh, going on with that, that piece? That, that is really hard because we actually have uh, at least the, the students that I know, it's at least a dozen that are in our community that didn't qualify for the program because the time when they were brought to the country by their parents, yes. uh, in order to qualify for DACA, the biggest requirement it was that you were here before 2007, right? Uh -huh. And there's a, there's a particular date. And so some of them came, you know, months after uh, that deadline or a year after that deadline. And so in general, I talk to them about dreamers. I know everyone is a dreamer, but they, you know, DACA youth ended up with the status and there's this other group of dreamers that do not have any protection from deportation and they do not have uh, an authorization for employment. And some of those are in the class that just graduated Yes. And the decisions that they are making for their future, for college, they also had to do with their status and the fear that they have and the fear that their parents have about them going, you know, away from a community that somehow has really supported them throughout the years to a place where you don't know what people think and believe and will do uh, if they knew about their status. So... Obama, before he left the administration, he actually ended up passing an extension of the DACA program, uh, but it was blocked by, uh, by a federal judge right away. And that would have given these other dreamers the same benefits of the DACA program in, if they had arrived at a certain time. And so we lost that opportunity and it was blocked way too fast. And also, you know, there's been changes at the beginning uh, the program uh, actually allowed them to stay for three years and then they changed the renovation to be eligible only for two years and so we're constantly doing paperwork and filling out the applications for the youth uh, the cost of the application fee uh, is also something that at least at point that we've been covering it but the cost is gonna go uh, higher now and uh, around the 700 uh, per application fee. And so this is something that they now have to pay for every two years if they want to continue keeping their permit up to date. Okay. So we still, so in addition to the children's not qualifying that still have to go forward with everything, there's still a fee for current recipients of DACA that they need to renew every two years and pay $700 until that's extended until, until what? Like, well, doc, so it's renewable every two years, but only based on a, a series that you've maintained these qualifications and maintained these standards. And that's a fear too, that if any of these things happen, that would be detrimental to their DACA application. Um, 
those students can then go, the ones that don't have DACA, they're dreamers, they're going to university. I believe the ones that have just graduated are still going to community college. Uh, do they still receive, are they able to receive any um, in-state tuition or uh, reduced fees as students? Well, yeah, fortunately, California has other protections to support them. Uh, even if at the federal level they do not have the DACA status. And I think that's why it's so important for community members, you know, to, uh, it, particularly now that there's, there's a lot of awareness about Black Lives Matter and therefore also why some of our own community members uh, need support and awareness from other uh, people is when we're awarding scholarships, when we are, uh, you know, hiring or allowing internships for youth. Like these are the kind of things that people have to look into. Some of the youth, you know, don't have everything that they need uh, and, and that affects their confidence to do certain internships, to apply for certain scholarships. And because they have limited amount of support they can get because uh, they don't qualify for financial aid, we need to make sure that we continue supporting financial support, scholarships and opportunities for, for those youth. Yep, I, there's, I feel a, a way that businesses can have been able to navigate the hiring of people. And it's not even um, a hiring of people that don't have that documentation, either if it's on an individual independent contract basis, but their willingness to do that has never been well received because it's like, why would I do more effort, like more effort, but like that, those are the types of, that's the type of conversation discourse that needs to be occurring across our whole nation is still making it happen, irregardless of federal standing. Um, and the work is by far not done. Um, as in the context of being a Pescadero community member, you know, how could we best support um, whether it's, uh, I know there's multiple, there could be, you know, financial, there's activism, there's, uh, and especially voting, since this is a big voting year, um, if, what would be some action items for our fellow community members that are tuning in? Uh, I think you mentioned some of the key ones, uh, for sure, provide financial support to our DACA and our Dreamers. Uh, you know, you may not know them, but you interact with them or you're, if you're a parent, your children interact with them and, you know, they don't have to reveal their status, just uh, be aware that they, that there's Dreamers in our community and support them financially. Uh, I think voting is very important uh, because right now the regulations and the laws that we have can be changed depending on who we elect to run this country. And we've seen what, uh, what this administration has done to damage, not only in specific ways regarding, you know, cancellation of this program and so on, but also on the rhetoric about, you know, criminalizing, uh, in this case that we're talking about, criminalizing Latinos, uh, talking about people stealing other people's jobs. Uh, and I think besides voting, there gotta be, people have to be brave enough to have these conversations when we hear those comments, uh, when people call, for example, other people uh, illegal, they're not illegal, they're undocumented. This is a process, this is a civil process. Uh, and the, the reason why they don't have documents is because the system doesn't want them to have and we can change the system. And I think that's what uh, the Obama administration helped to put in place for these young folks. Yes, there's not a comprehensive immigration reform and we need it, uh, but I think if we're focusing on the youth, at least a path to citizenship for them will be great. And we need to have those conversations when we hear people not having the facts, um, 
or making racist comments or uninformed comments about this program and about the benefits of it, uh, I think people in our community can come up front and defend uh, the support for DACA. The other thing that I would like to see more is the way that we um, turn out uh, at the post office and other places to speak about the Black Lives Matter movement. I do want to see that kind of support for the DACA program. I think it will speak a lot to the local uh, youth that uh, are not from with their status because either they have a DACA status or they are a dreamer to see that their community support them too. That the community is supporting this large movement, but that the community is also focusing on the local uh, needs and the local issues that affect their own community members too. Yeah, and you're definitely mirroring what other community members have said, like Black Lives Matter, absolutely necessary national movement, but that is also inclusive of brown people, specifically our town. So I almost wonder, I wonder, you know, when it comes to the community, you know, walking the talk, when it comes to very specific people that you're going to interact with, farm workers, uh, Latino populace, specifically Mexican-American descent, are you going to do the same thing? You know, I think that's the, definitely the, <laughs> the activism we would all like to see too, is have that be more contextualized to Pescadero. Um, that yeah, and I was recently at, a, at an event in the community and I was telling people, you know, because they were expressing their anger with the deaths of African-Americans. And I told them, absolutely, we have to support the movement. And we need to be angry too when we see the housing in our community. And we need to be angry when we know that people are paying about 80% of their earned revenue to pay for rent. And we need to be angry when people are afraid of reporting something is not working at their homes because they know they can be kicked out and lose the very little you know, affordable rent places in the community. And we need to be angry when we attend a school event and there's no translation. And so there's a lot of local issues that we need to look at. And what it gives me hope right now is that there's so much conversation about it uh, within the school system, uh, within, you know, different community members, between businesses this time as well in our community that I think I, I want all of this translating to actions and a larger number of our community members to show their support for the local issues as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you, uh, you, I can see, uh, I can see activism being so national, we're forgetting local, what that means on the local level. Um, and yes, I completely agree that uh, this has catalyzed a lot of conversations and we need to keep that ball rolling. Um, to actually enact the change that we want to see and the transformations that we want to see in our town. Because if you can't, if we can, if you can't do it with 800 people, you know, it's kind of like, that's why Pescara is that, that's why we always had people come in from Stanford or from other schools, other places, because they were just like, this is the perfect bubble to do this study or do this thing. And you're kind of like, all right, well, people are coming in because we're in this really un unincorporated, isolated space and we can cause great change because uh, keeping this going can change minds and hearts of a, such a tight-knit community um, and I would like to see yeah. that. I, I, I got yesterday I have a letter somewhere around here from someone uh, that decided to donate their federal stimulus check or part of it and in their own words right like these funds are better in organizations like Puente and I think that's just an example of people going the next level. I don't know if they're posting on social media. I don't know if they're going to protest, but they're doing something that it has very tangible impact on other people. And I think some, you know, sometimes you want your contributions to go to a, a, 
a direct person or have that direct effect. So I think, you know, encouraging people to actually, you know, do this financial support to cover one of the DACA uh, application fees for one of the local students is like, it's local, is a benefit from someone that it is in the community, even if you don't know them directly, and it's a very specific way to, mm -hmm. to support that group too. But again, uh, you, we need to continue being informed. I've heard so many comments, I'm sure you have to about, well, why don't people just do it the right way? Why, um, you know, why don't they just apply for citizenship? Like so much misunderstanding and lack of knowledge about the process and how it works and, and the system itself. And I think it is part of our homework. I know we cannot be experts on everything, but uh, you know, we can use social media to inform ourselves and learn more about why people are in this status. And also thinking, I think sometimes people just think about once they're here, but if you think about before they cross this border, why did they decide to come? What makes a person in a family leave so much behind for the unknown, mm -hmm. right? Would we do it? Would we pack our things? Would I pack everything with my family and go somewhere else? That's super scary. And so I think we need to try to also learn about why these young people have been brought by the relatives and how hard it is to live in a mixed status family with you know some members being able to go visit their extended family in Mexico and others uh, not having that opportunity how it feels when your heart starts racing up because you have a sheriff car behind you uh, how you start sweating when you are uh, filling out forms and they ask you for a social security number like all these things have an effect on on our youth and I think you know I'm, I'm not in their shoes and there's no easy way to to be in their shoes but I think if people read and, and are willing to hear more about it uh, they will understand that this is not an easy thing and the, the surprise that some youth get, some of them do not realize they don't have status until you know, they are applying for college or they are applying for a scholarship that asks for a social security number. I've been very vocal lately because the county had these scholarships, jobs for youth, and they you know, ask a W-9 for the students to receive the scholarship. So many of them had to turn them down because they did not have a W-9. So there's just the obstacles and obstacles uh, and yes, there's opportunities, but there's a lot of obstacles for this particular, uh, you know, generation of youth that are in this status. Yes, they are the true change makers, as they are the ones that have gone through, are go and are currently going through so much to even get to what many of us take for granted as just being allowed. And I think what really rings true is we're forgetting. Uh, we're forgetting our our history based on our context. Like all of us have immigrated at some point, but immigration policy and like and everything and it has changed. So when you consider the context at which your your family members generations ago immigrated uh, over here, it wasn't it it was a different process. And now we have a much more complex system. We have to be understanding of that. And no one is trying to leave their home. No one's trying to leave people behind. No one's trying to live in between two worlds. Uh, but we uh, need to understand those stories or try and um, do our best to support. And when we engage in 
terms like illegal instead of using undocumented. We're dehumanizing that person because using the term illegal is saying that that person in their existence as human is illegal when the actions of immigration are undocumented, but they are not an illegal human being. They are. Right. And then I think the term also makes them guilty of something immediately without the context of their individual situation. And I think the fear among, you know, some people that do not support this program, maybe because they feel that they're going to lose something by allowing other people to come and work and study and be part of our society. And I think we all gain by supporting this youth. We've seen it when DACA was approved and students did better and got better grades and got more engaged in school. That was a win-win for everybody. So I think, you know, a lot of, of, it, of the fear has to do with, you know, our insecurity of losing something or getting less of something. And as people have said on social media, this is not a pie. You don't, you don't lose your, your slice of the pie because uh, you are allowing other people to come and, and contribute to our community. And the thing is that with or with their status, they are already contributing to the economy. economy. They're already paying taxes. They're paying into social security that they will never receive. They are already uh, being the backbone of this you know, economy that so many people value in the, in the United States, uh, not knowing who is you know, sustaining it as well. They are the essential human beings of our nation and our community here on the South Coast. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to 89.3 FM, Pescadero Radio, The Shields and Talbot Show.